This is exactly right. Welcome to My Favorite Murder, the podcast you listen to sometimes, <laughs> right? That's Karen Kilgariff. That's Georgia Hardstark. Hi, I haven't left the house in many days. Oh, I just left today. Oh, how what's it like out there? Start the two week count today. Um, snow traffic. Yeah. Um, beautiful skies. Beautiful skies. Oh, listen, right before I came into the uh, my office oh. to because uh, the one carpeted room in the house mm-hmm. um, I was sitting at the kitchen table and all of a sudden the whole living room smelled like jasmine oh, it was amazing. crazy I mean the air quality is so amazing in Los Angeles in it ways is. it never has been before absolutely it's so beautiful I've been going on my patio every couple days or every so often and just sitting in the sun and that has been like the highlight of my week is just that like 20 minutes of sun. Oh, God. It's oh so my nice. God. You should up that to 30 minutes if you like it that much. I should. Go God, ahead. The give, world. You, give yourself that gift. <laughs> I miss the fucking world, <laughs> which I never thought I'd say or feel. I mean, it's the exact opposite of what you've been saying to me for the past two years. I'm like, I Truly. just want to be at home and can sit with my cats. <laughs> I'm like, now you get it. But I want it to be voluntary. <laughs> you should have said that the first time. <laughs> I Listen, know. when you're manifesting, you have to be really specific <laughs> to the universe. Shit. They'll just take and you then I also have to. The problem is that it's spring as well. And there's this fucking bird in heat <laughs> that's living in the tree outside of my house. It's not in heat. <laughs> it's, what do they get? It's trying to mate, whatever. <laughs> no. And it's trying it will to get not. Attention. Yeah, it won't stop like trying to get like whistling and making all these bird sounds all fucking night i have not been sleeping well oh wait hold on Stephen. it's eight o'clock so everyone's losing their shit again oh yeah let's see if we can hear it this time Uh, you you couldn't hear it last time right i've never heard this hold on hear that yeah a little something kind of yeah a little something in the background i love that people do that it's really nice (laughs) vince tried to play the um the Star Spangled Banner really loud on his phone the other night. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I haven't been sleeping well because of this fucking bird. And, uh, you know, that's it. I mean, that's kind of the like the thing that symbolizes or like the audio cue that it's like, oh, the morning, like da 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 and then bird tweeting. But it's happening all night long. It's really eerie to hear a bird just tweet all fucking night. It definitely sounds like the beginning of the apocalypse. Well, yeah, it's off, right? But I had this morning, I was on the phone with my dad in the kitchen and out the front window, a kitchen window, something caught my eye and I look over and this gigantic grasshopper (gasps) is climbing up to get onto the windowsill outside. But I'm telling you that the head of the grasshopper was like the size of a dime. Oh, my God. Like it's the head alone caught my eye man animals are taking back their fucking they're coming back big time this thing uh, i'm gonna send you a picture of it i actually caught a a picture as it was lifting its leg up to like get it and it's it looks like it's coming to fight me 
like through the window. It's huge. The, it was honestly, it was a grasshopper that was this big, like two oh inches long. It was insane. Oh my God. They're coming and, back. I heard in Yosemite, like the bears are having a fucking field day. They're like, like running around in the streets and shit because there's not oh, a bunch yeah. of fucking tourists there yeah. anymore. That's right. Living and they, it up. they already aren't that afraid of tourists. You know what sure. I mean? They're like kind of yeah. used to them. So now they're just like, what? Hello. Like now we get to use this bench. Great. <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to sit on this. I discovered this today, too, because I drank a ton of coffee today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Me then too. right around five o'clock, I realized oh, the last couple of times we've recorded because I've been like, oh, I don't know if I have it to give. And I don't it's so hard to podcast alone and from home and not in mm-hmm. the same room. I realized I, the missing ingredient has been coffee this entire time. Oh. I just need like th- four solid, large ventis of Starbucks and I can podcast through anything. This is going to be a five hour episode, everyone. Hold I have so on much to butts. tell you. <laughs> You're the first people I've talked to in three weeks. <laughs> um, I just when we were trying to set up, you you hadn't come on the Zoom yet. But I had sorry. to. I had to ju- no, no, I had to jump back <laughs> off because. There was a man standing in front of the window waving. And so I was like, no, oh, hello, what's this? And I so (laughs) he's waving and pointing. And so I just go over to my to the window in this room and open it up because I've taken all the screens off of it. I open it up and I'm leaning out the window. I'm like, hi, what's your name? Whatever. And he's kind of talking to me as a little bit of an accent. He's Is like, it a grasshopper in a suit? <laughs> it was an old man version of the grasshopper. He had finally oh, no. transformed into his final form. No, but he was like basically saying, I'm your neighbor. We haven't met yet. But he said, what's your name? And I said, my name's Karen. And then he went, you're so beautiful. Oh. <laughs> he yelled, you're so beautiful. And I swear to God, I almost burst into tears. And I was like, I'm up. And I was like, first, I haven't put on makeup in so long. No, like, absolutely it, not. That is a blatant lie. My roots are... The gray roots make it look like I'm going bald. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But I realize it's because I'm leaning halfway out a window like Rapunzel. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he, I tricked him into saying that to me, basically, because I was like leaning oh. out a window like, so what's your name? And you have like grasshoppers like flying into your hand <laughs> and you're just, you know, fucking snow whiting it up. I re- the, then suddenly the grasshopper's on my shoulder and he's got a little top hat on. Hey, well, and then he, but he actually said, are you married? And I Whoa. and I went divorced, and yeah. then he, and I think then he felt bad, so he said, "You're so beautiful," <laughs> in this great accent. It was hilarious. So now he lives with you. Yeah. So that's my new roommate. <laughs> I mean, these are the we can only go over what's been happening, and all of the things that have been happening have been direct either directly outside our door yeah. or inside the house. Or on the computer. I keep having these like Zoom happy hour hangs with like, well, some of our friends will get together and want to have these happy hours. And they're, I hate them and they're so awkward. And I end up getting shit faced because I'm so uncomfortable and nervous with them. And Vince hates them too. And I realized I was finally able to let him know what it's like for me at a regular in-person hang is how he feels on a Zoom call, all awkward and weird and having to make weird conversation is my every interaction so it's kind of like actually this moment that we shared <laughs> good <laughs> where he finally got how uncomfortable i am in front of people now do you have a delay where when you clap other people clap a second later in real life <laughs> no <laughs> like uh, that's basically your problem oh, maybe you, that's why you're awkward. just on a delay everyone's <laughs> beat behind you and it's so I irritating just stare at me oh god <laughs> Um, do you have any news, any updates, any suggestions? Oh, you want to talk about TV stuff, stuff we've been watching? Sure. 
Sure. Well, I'm really excited because the people um, who made Downton Abbey have a new series on epics. It's called Belgravia or Belgravia, perhaps. I'm not sure. But it's so fucking good. The second episode was on um, Sunday night. And it like so just for all the uh, all the people, this is like I don't know what what version of this is. I don't know if it's Victorian England. It's early 1800s. I'm not sure what the brackets are but it's great outfits it's all the great actors all the like great british um period piece actors that you've seen in a ton of stuff are in this including tasman grieg who actually is more of a comedy person she was on um did you ever see episodes that matt leblanc series with the two british writers she's the she's the the woman from that um but she was also on friday night dinner which is one of my favorites robert popper's series that was so Mm -hmm. funny Uh, she was the mom on friday night dinner um and she plays the lead person on this and uh with Harriet Walker, I believe her name is, who is just the badass. Um, is it Harriet Walker? I'm sorry, Harriet Walter. Harriet Walter. Um, anyway, if you like period yeah. pieces and you're into all that kind of stuff, I love Belgravia so far. They've set up a real good, the, the drama is already in. We're like, there's nothing to that. I, I love a soap opera from the Victorian age. That's I usually all I want. don't. But I loved um, Downton Abbey, especially the first season, so much that I it was surprising to me how into it I was. It's really well done. And it's like yeah. the interesting, like the dynamics are interesting because it's not it's stuff that we're we're not as used to. You know what I mean? The dynamics yeah. of having a, a, you know, a valet or a footman or a. a oh, you maid. don't know what that's like? Oh, how is it? <laughs> Good times? Oh, it's so good. Oh, my God. The politics of the footman. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so if if people are into that, I also was watching the Pickwick Papers, which is a 70s BBC series based on the Dickens um, novel. And it's so it's like something they would bring in on a rainy day and make you watch in like British lit (laughs) class when you like against your will. But I found it so delightful. Uh, That's just, I guess that's like British accents are my background comfort sounds. You'll love it. You're going to move there one day, I bet. Maybe. Retire. Retire to the British countryside. Oh, just get my own manor house and footmen. Yeah, that's right. But uh, then I'm also, I'm on the staff because that's really my roots. That's my, that's where my people are actually from. (laughs) My grandmother was a maid for years. You can't stay out of the kitchen trying to help. I'm down there like, you should be doing it like this. Yeah. She's just like everyone else. (laughs) She's so down to earth. (laughs) She's so down to earth. Uh, what have you been I've been watching, watching a, I've been watching a period piece too but it's 1940s which is like my f- favorite for like set design and clothing and stuff. So it's called it's called The Plot Against America. Mm, I saw and the promo our, for that. It's our friend and murderino Zoe Kazan who's so fucking talented and she, it's incre- it's a really good show and then also randomly Winona Ryder is like a 1940s New York Jew in it. It's I hear she's like, great in it. Yeah. yeah. And then what's his name who's so incredible John Turo. It's just like a really good quiet show. I feel like people would be real, like people should be screaming about it. Yeah, I like it. That's awesome. Yeah. And then I mean, that's it. I've just been waiting till five to start drinking and <laughs> good, good. The little s- having, small steps. Yeah. Garage hangs and trying to keep it together at therapy yesterday on the phone, which is like getting good and deep. 
Yeah. I was I was talking to my therapist about I was like, all these things we talk about, I then get off the phone and have all this time to think about and work on. <laughs> right. Because I know I'm gonna talk to you again very soon. Yeah. And it's not like I can be like, Oh, sorry, I didn't watch that, I didn't read that article or whatever. It's like I'm it's all I have to do. Yeah. It's really just think about some of this stuff and face it. Why not? My therapist gave me like a um a worksheet, like homework to be like with your negative thoughts. When you have them, write down like where it came from. What are you thinking? Why do you, why do you think this happened? And I, I did it. I did one and I'm like not a homework person. Obviously, I barely graduated high school. <laughs> but uh, I wrote I did one after last week after the podcast of just like, how do I feel? And it helped. But then I got mad at myself for feeling those things. So that doesn't help. And then it also doesn't help that then you're <laughs> judging it from that, like, coning all the way out there. Yeah. Right. Give yourself right. a goddamn break. I'm going to. Uh, yeah. My therapist gave me homework, too. And it was like a it, send a thank you note to yourself, this part of yourself. And then I was just like, I'm Aww. pretty sure this is not going to happen. I know. I she wish also told I was... me to scream in a pillow. And I'm like, that's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> what if Vince catches me screaming into a pillow? Better than screaming into his face. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Pick one. You only have one. Pick one. Get a pillow. Go into the garage. Make it part okay. of garage hangs. Okay. Make it part of the fun. I'm going to do it. I'll have a white claw in one hand and a pillow <laughs> over my face in the other. Maybe that's what you need for like social things when you finally do get to socialize again. If you just have a small pillow to scream in, you're just like, how are you? I know. I know. Have you seen the, the latest episode? Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. One second. <laughs> Turn away. Yeah. Sorry, I'm back. Who's that girl? Who's that girl who just carries a pillow around with her? I don't know. She's don't worry fascinating. About it. I'm going to start doing yeah. that too. Just be a trendsetter. <laughs> Should we do some network news? Oh, yeah. Okay, we're going to do some real quick um, Exactly Right Network updates for you. Well, I mean, the the big one is just that finally our uh, the brand new weird news comedy show, Bananas, premiered this week. I, I always want to say today because that's real. <laughs> yeah, but, Tuesday. <laughs> but it was Tuesday, Tuesday. today. Yes. Yeah. So please subscribe and listen to Bananas starring our friends uh, Scotty Landis and Kurt Braunohler. They have the hilarious Kristen Schaal on this week, and she's so delightful. Hilarious. Truly. Yeah. I mean, it's Louise Belcher's on their first podcast. What yeah. more do you want as a selling point to listen to this? And also, it's like the perfect escape, hilarious comedy people. People yeah. chatting, being chill, just talking being about weird shit and yeah. laughing together. That's balm for the soul. You got to do yeah, it. After you listen to your whatever news podcast you listen to, why don't you hop on over to Bananas and soothe your soul a little bit? Counterbalance that. Counter. That's make right. sure to always counterbalance. That's our. We're your therapist now, and that's your homework. That's right. Um, and then the Percast, our our good friends Stephen and Sarah <laughs> have Nardley <laughs> Smith as a guest this week, which I think is so rad from The Simpsons. From, Wait, we have Lisa Simpson, and we have Louise um, Belcher. Yeah, all the animated that's heroes. Crazy. All what of my anima- animated yeah. superheroes. Now, now Yardley Smith is on for Small Town Dicks, right? Or is yes. is that what she promotes? when she does stuff yes, like she's that the, yeah she's the co-host of small town Dicks. yeah yeah which is so. an amazing podcast if you haven't listened no she was great and she, she has like a little sneak peek is that she basically built like a has like a designer cat jungle gym that goes all the way up the stairs in her house <laughs> amazing and it's one of the most the way she describes it is amazing 
I mean, because it's just great to listen to her voice anyway. But yeah. then, oh my god, it was incredible. So awesome. It's just thrilling that she's even a part of anything we do. We're honored in our world. Yeah, she's in our world. So nice booking, so Stephen. Cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she was the best. All right, I think that's it for the network news, right? We're doing highlights now, so we don't have to walk yeah. everybody through every single thing. If you want more information about what's going on on Exactly Right, you can go to our website, which I'm assuming is www.exactlyright.com. Or media, Exactly Right Media. Who it's, would know? It's, it's Exactly Right Media. Dot com. Dot com. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> dot edu. <laughs> dot We're UK. professionals. <laughs> <laughs> Take a look at our website. Have you ever seen the network website? It's fun. Good. Great. Thank you. Uh, there's a video. We're doing videos now of the mini-sodes on our website, myfavoritemurder.com. So you can check those out if you want to see what we look like when we're talking. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. All right. So you're first this week? Uh-huh. Okay. Then I won't drink too much of this very weird sweating vodka soda. I'm doing the crash of PSA flight 1771. So this is December 7th, 1987. Okay. So we're at LAX. 48-year-old man named Ray Thompson 
boards flight PSA 1771 for San Francisco. He works in the L.A. office of U.S. Air, but he lives in Tiburon. He's very high level U.S. Air um, manager. That's uh, North Cal- North Northern California. right? Yeah. Tiburon is the super rich city that's it's right above Sausalito and Sausalito okay. is the first city over the Golden Gate Bridge. So it's like the third city over the Golden Gate Bridge. Ugh. Very exclusive, super Super fancy. Okay. And it's, uh, I mean, he has the life. That's very cool. You live in LA and then you just commute home on a yeah. flight and go to Tiburon. Like, awesome. Okay. So um, that's that's his commuter flight. That's what he does to commute to work. Um, okay. So flight 1771 takes off from LAX at 3.31 p.m. Now, this is the flight, not PSA, obviously. I usually do the Southwest version. It takes an hour. You know, the flight time is an, a little over an hour. So mm-hmm. you basically have enough time to get served a drink, finish the drink, and then hand the drink back, and you're, you've landed. It's yeah. a dream come true. Um, yeah. So... It's supposed, it's scheduled to land at San Francisco airport at 4.43 PM. Okay. But about halfway through the flight, air traffic control receives a distress call from first officer James Nunn in the cockpit. Um, they hear him say over the radio, quote, there's gunfire on board. We're going down. Holy shit. They hear a commotion. They hear a bunch of other stuff. Then a really intense high pitched screeching sound and then silence. Two minutes later, 22,000 feet over a small town uh, called Templeton, California. I've never heard of it in never my life. Never heard of it. Nope. You know where it is? It's in the uh. mountain range that's basically San Luis Obispo is on the west side of it. And uh-huh. then like all those vineyardy towns yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, are on the east side of it. In the like Got the it. valley part where the where all the what wine is, is planted, <laughs> and then <laughs> all the wine is planted. all the wine is been planted in bottles <laughs> in the ground and grows up. San Ysidro uh-huh. or San? Um, no, that's yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Sorry, Napa, all that shit. <laughs> no, no, no. We're we're oh. still down by San San Luis Obispo. <laughs> so it's kind of thank you, Paso Paso Robles. Robles. That's what oh, I was trying to think of. Thank you, Stephen. Vince and I got married in um, San Luis Obispo and then went to Paso Robles for our honeymoon. Isn't it gorgeous? So this plane takes an almost vertical nosedive. It was going at seven degree, a 70 degree angle downward. Oh my God. And it crashes into a rocky hillside in a cow pasture miraculously. Yeah. It was, it was outside, just outside of town. Thank God. Yeah. The plane dove so fast, it broke the sound barrier. And when it it impacted on impact, Uh it was obliterated into millions of pieces and it killed all 43 souls on board. Oh. So a CBS News helicopter was the first to spot the wreckage and they alert the authorities. And so there's this a TV show, this TV show I'm about to talk about. It's called Mayday and it's about plane crashes. I don't know why anyone would watch it, but um, <laughs> you should, I guess. Um, and but also, of course, Murderpedia um, articles from the from the time from 1987 from the LA Times the Washington Post AP News and Time Magazine had an article about it okay so there is they use video on that TV show Mayday like it looks like it must be like the video from the sheriff's department or something cuz it's just like it's basically a, f- a far away full screen shot where they're kind of scanning this 
field that goes up into like a foothill uh-huh. and it looks like somebody has just thrown a bunch of pieces of paper everywhere yeah just debris it's, is it, only left and it's very small very small yeah. debris and the san luis obispo county sheriff's office detective bill womack he's quoted in that video as, as saying about this crash site quote We saw nothing that resembled an airliner. We went on for hours before we heard the news reports of a missing airliner, believing that we were dealing with a small airplane full of newspapers that had crashed. We saw no pieces of the aircraft that were larger than maybe a human hand. It did not look like a passenger aircraft. So when they when they finally found the crash site. They assumed that it was just like a like a small plane because everything was so tiny. And when you see this video, it's mind boggling that it was like a full size um, passenger airplane. Mm -hmm. So for the next two days, the investigative team digs through the rubble for evidence of what went wrong. So it. Aside from the cockpit voice recorder, which all com- commuter plane, uh, commercial planes have to record audio in case of emergency situations, they find mm-hmm. two very important pieces of uh, evidence. Fragments of a Smith & Wesson 44 Magnum revolver. With How do they find that? It's in the video, too. You see a guy with this, like a stick or a pen or something yeah. go like this. And it's not even the whole gun. It's just pieces wow. of one, the piece of the gun with the trigger and the, I don't the round part. Yeah. Revol- just revolver. part of it. Yeah. <laughs> cartridge. I was going to say cartridge. But essentially, they find that it has six empty cartridge cases they also find a note that was written on an airsick bag that somehow managed to survive the crash and that note read quote hi ray i think it's sort of ironical that we end up like this i asked for some leniency for my family remember well i got none and you'll get none end quote oh my god yeah so investigators look at the gun fragments and they find they end up finding near the trigger part a fingertip that's stuck inside no yeah and then they fingerprint that fingertip and it identifies that the finger belongs to 35 year old recently fired u.s air employee david burke wow yes because all the part of the um thing about when and I'm sure lots of people have seen that like airplane crash sites, they go through and like put little flags next to each p- piece of debris because uh-huh. they're cat like I think categorizing all of it or whatever. Like mm-hmm. so although everything they had to they have to search this field and apparently I read somewhere, I don't know if it was verified verified, but they said that there was debris from this crash that was found eight miles away. Oh my God. Because it crashed with such force right. that it was just like boom, like just, you know, the way. You wouldn't it went think out. that it that a a passenger plane like that would get high enough to cr- to break the sound barrier when it crashed, which just shows how much force. Well, yes, is. because I think they don't go that high, right? Twenty two thousand feet. It's pretty, it's pretty I high. But also, it's, <laughs> I, mean, I think it's the what happened in it and the way it crashed yeah. because it didn't it didn't go back and forth. It didn't. Right. There was no um, pulling Turbulence up at any yeah. point. Yeah, it uh-huh. just went straight. It nosedived down into the ground and exploded. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about. 
this U.S. Air employee, David Burke. He was born in the U.K. His parents were Jamaican. They all the family immigrates to Rochester, New York, uh, where his father gets a job as a cab driver. So that's where he grows up with his brothers, his two brothers, who would later describe David as a generous person who quote, always looks out for the well-being of the family. Um, so David ends up getting a job working at U.S. Air. U.S. Air will eventually be absorbed into American Airlines in 2015. Um, so that U.S. Air was around for a pretty long time. Yeah, I remember that. And PSA was like one of the branches of U.S. Air, I guess. Okay. So David gets a job working for U.S. Air in Rochester in 1972, and he works there for 14 years. But in 1986, he becomes a suspect in an alleged drug smuggling ring that brought cocaine from Jamaica to the U.S. on U.S. air flights. He was mm-hmm. never officially charged for for that alleged involvement, um, but he ends up putting in a transfer to Los Angeles just to get out of town and get away from the allegations. So he could mm-hmm. have been completely innocent of that and just like it could have been profiling, could have been anything. But he yeah. was like. I'm going to get out of town. He also had a girlfriend who lived in the L.A. area named Jocelyn Camacho, and she also worked for U.S. Air as a ticket agent. Um, So the move allows him to be David to be closer to her. He gets himself a three bedroom condo in Long Beach and works out of Terminal One in LAX. Around that time, U.S. Air acquires Pacific Southwest Airlines, which everyone calls PSA which I spent my childhood watching commercials for, um, but now is like non-existent and any, no. anyone younger than me has no idea what it is. <laughs> Just like everything else. Okay, so <laughs> by July of 1987, things are starting to sour for David at work. He, two of his coworkers with less experience than him get promoted to supervisor positions over him in the customer service department. He feels he's been slighted because he's black because these co-workers are white and he blames his boss ray thompson for that in fact he actually brings this complaint to the california state department of fair employment and housing that same month but before the paperwork officially gets filed he changes his mind and decides not to file a formal complaint um and that's the last the state department hears about it um but i don't think that it's not like that means that that complaint is is any less valid. I think it's like yeah. you you make that complaint and then what happens? You're still at that job, you know. Right. So um, the regulations weren't there or in place to to not get in trouble for even reporting it. Probably right, exactly. Like you're going to be a whistleblower, then you're just going to lose everything, you know. Yeah, whatever for whatever reason he changes his mind. Then on November fifteenth, nineteen eighty seven, a hidden camera catches David stealing sixty nine dollars from flight cocktail receipts. So mm. Ray Thompson, David's supervisor confronts him about it and tells him U.S. Air is considering filing a misdemeanor charge against him for it. Those charges are never filed. But four days later, on November 19th, 1987, Ray Thompson fires David Burke. So in the weeks following his termination, David's girlfriend notices that he's becoming moodier and more violent. On December 4th, 1987, David actually forces Jacqueline and her six-year-old daughter into his car at gunpoint and drives them around for six hours. Oh, my God. 
neither are injured. Jacqueline does wind up filing a report of assault with the police. Then on December 7th, 1987, David visits Ray's office in Terminal 1 at LAX to beg him for his job back. And Ray refuses. He ushers David out of his office, telling him to have a nice day. And David Mm -hmm. fires back. I intend on having a very good day. So after he leaves Ray's office, David goes down and buys a one-way ticket for PSA Flight 1771. It's set to leave that same day, December 7th, at 3.31. And he knows that this is the flight that Ray Thompson takes to go home. So even though he was fired, um, no one took his employee badge. So... Hmm. On his way to the gate, he just shows his credential to his former co-workers at the security yeah. gate, and they just let him go right through. They had not been notified. They didn't know he had been fired, right. um, and they would have never suspected that he was hiding a forty-four Magnum um, on his person that he had borrowed from a now former co-worker. They had no idea any of that was going on. And right before he boarded the flight, David called Jacqueline and leaves her a voicemail. And he says, quote, Jackie, this is David. I'm on my way to San Francisco, flight 1771. I love you. I really wish I could say more, but I do love you. So that's the message that she ends up getting at nine o'clock that night, like five hours after (gasps) the crash. Whoa. Yeah. So basically, obviously, there's no survivors from this flight and from this crash. And investigators have to piece together all of the events of what may have taken place that day based on what they could hear on the voice recorder. So this is most of it is like conjecture, um, but they it is pretty fascinating how much they can hear and like where the apparently where the microphones are in the cabin. So they Uh they can hear a lot of stuff. So basically, at some point. You know, during the flight, David takes that airsick bag that was in the seat pocket in front of him, writes the note to his boss who just fired him. Then he gets up from his seat. He drops that note onto Ray Thompson's lap and then goes into the bathroom. So basically, yeah, sends him that message. And he not only that not only gives Ray time to read what the note says, it also gives David time to to get the gun ready. Oh, my God. So he comes out of the bathroom, walks up to Ray's seat, fires twice. The gunshots are heard on the audio recorder. And then at that point, First Officer James Nunn calls uh, radio's air traffic control and reports that shots have been fired. Mm -hmm. So now they pick up the sound of the cockpit door opening and flight attendant Deborah Neal tells the pilot, Captain Greg Lindemood, we have a problem. And Captain Lindemood says, what's the problem? Then another gunshot is heard. And that's David shooting Deborah in the back, followed by David Burke saying, I'm the problem. Oh, my God. Yeah. So then he fires two more times, presumably once at Captain at Captain Linda Mood and once at First Officer Nunn. Um, mm-hmm. And they're both either killed or badly wounded. And now there's this high-pitched screeching sound, which they believe is caused by either one or more bullet holes in the windshield. Uh, I'm sure yeah. they don't call it a windshield on a plane, but that's... <laughs> sure. wind- I get what you mean. Windshield. Yeah. That sound begins to grow louder, indicating the plane's rapid descent. Uh-huh. And then another gunshot is heard, 
Some people theorize it was David Burke killing himself. Others think it's more likely that that was for Captain Douglas Arthur, who was on board as a passenger, and he was PSA's chief pilot in Los Angeles. Oh, shit. He was just riding on that plane, too, and they believe he probably approached the cockpit to try and help stop David and try to help the other pilots. Yeah. Because the piece of David's finger was found lodged in the trigger guard, forensics (laughs) experts think... That means David was alive and holding the gun at the moment of impact. Yeah. But it's all theory. Either way, this gunshot is the last sound recorded on the CVR before the crash. What? Yeah. Um, So apparently from from that, uh, this clip from Mayday of the people that were at the site, there is one of the guys said... Uh, having been one of the investigators, said there was no, there was no seats, there was no fuselage, there was no t- tail of the plane, there was mm. nothing that would indicate a plane was in this spot. That's how tiny That's all these pieces were. Crazy. Uh, how crazy this. And they, he said that they believed the G-force that they were dropping at was like five thousand. I believe he said five thousand Gs. So you'd hope that those people were unconscious by the time it happened. Yes. Okay. So the investigation afterwards, they start interviewing all the other employees, but they find no one else who had issues with Ray Thompson. All of them described him as firm but fair, which means he was probably a great boss. Um, Mm -hmm. He left behind his wife, Dorothy, who also worked in the airline industry as a flight attendant for American Airlines. So this plane crash, 43 people died. Five flight crew members, 39 passengers, including David Burr. Among these passengers, this is kind of interesting, 53-year-old James Silla was the president of Chevron. And and three other very high-level Chevron executives, Owen Murphy, Jocelyn Kemp, and Alan Swanson. And there was also three executives from Pac Bell on that flight, Pacific Bell, for people who don't live in California. They were on board. And this actually... There was such a massive loss of high-level executives at both of these companies. It led to an industry standard change where company executives cannot fly together at the same time. And I've always found that rule so interesting and dark and fucked up. But it's yeah, and it, it came from this. It's from this crash. That's crazy. Yeah. And then it made me think as I was writing this up, I was just like at Chevron. It was like everyone at the top. So then it's like someone's weird assistant. It's like now that guy's the president. <laughs> like who moved up to take those places? Because that's five yeah. deep. You're down into like assistant area. <laughs> like yeah. who took over? Oh, man. They must have gotten someone from Exxon or whatever to come over. And Sure. Two federal laws are also passed because of this with regards to airline worker policy. The first one was that anytime an airline worker is fired or leaves their job, they uh, have to immediately hand over their security credentials. I mean, seems that odd. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the second one is that um, no matter what, all airline employees, regardless of their position, are subject to the exact same security procedures as every other passenger on board if they are going to go makes- onto a flight. Total sense. That makes super sense. And this is obviously, uh, you know, pre 9-11, like, yeah. it was such a different world. Fl- yeah. Who knows if they would have even found the gun if they had been doing screenings because there, it was so lax. Right. 
Yeah, because he. I don't. If a person had worked, he worked at this company for for fifteen years. Like he was. Everyone probably knew this guy and liked this guy. Like yeah, you know. Yeah. So this is really really tragic. Of the forty three souls who died, twenty six of them, twenty three passengers and three crew members, their remains could not be positively identified. Mm. Um. So they ended up having. Uh, interdenominational mass graveside service in Los Osos, California, another city I haven't heard of, but it's that's right. It's basically down the mountain and kind of a little bit. Um, it's closer to San Luis Obispo. Yeah. And at that service, Rabbi A. Manhoff, who was of Congregation Beth David in in San Luis Obispo, spoke and he said, quote, Psalms and words of consolation cannot make sense of this senseless deed. Grief is a great teacher if we learn from those who loved. Take that love and use it to make the world better. Mm. Yeah. And Heartbreaking. the episode of, oh, it's a Canadian documentary series, Mayday, um, that details the events of this crash of Flight 1771. The episode is titled, I'm the Problem. And Ugh. that is the story of the tragedy of PSA Flight 1771. Fuck. That's dark. Great job. Thank you. I'd never heard of that. And it was 86 in Los originated in Los Angeles. I that's 87. Wild. Yeah. I know. Isn't that yeah. weird? It, yeah. it, I'd never heard of it if I hadn't um been collecting those weird news blurbs. That that's oh, the yeah, only yeah. reason that I knew it is because it just came up on that website of like, oh, here's the things that happened in 1987. Mm -hmm. But I I didn't remember hearing it, and I don't remember the um PSA crash in in San Diego itself. No, no, and I'm from Orange County, and I don't remember ever hearing about that. Yeah, that's bananas. Yeah, wow, great job. Thank you. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder and here's the important note that promo code is all lowercase so go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level that's shopify.com slash murder again don't forget the code is all lowercase goodbye okay then get ready because <laughs> i'm about to do the kent state massacre oh <laughs> shit i mean Oh, man. Yeah. Like, like now we cue the Neil Young. 
Yeah. Ohio. Mm. Okay. So this came about because I'm reading this book called Chaos. It's this big old book. It's by Tom O'Neill, who's this incredible investigative journalist. And he spent 20 years researching this topic. Um, And you and I don't usually aren't really into Charles Manson and the family stories. It's like boring. And it's it's just a horrible person and horrible people. But this one's about Charles Manson, the CIA and the secret history of the 60s. And like is basically like the helter skelter theory is fucking bullshit. Yeah. And maybe was Charles Manson a fuck it, like, you know, did the FBI put him up to this to the murder? I mean, it's just really, really interesting and gives you this whole history of uh, the counterculture and what went wrong. I kind of like the fact that these days I feel like con- and a lot of people have said this. I'm definitely not the first, but it's like conspiracy theorists are so justified now because like, yeah. Back then, if you'd say, oh, Manson was hired by the FBI or the CIA or whatever, yeah. you know, people would just be like, wow, you must be totally out of your mind. And now you hear that and you're like, obviously, like, uh, right. Uh, well, obviously. now because it's been so long that, and there's the Freedom of Information Act. And now, the, you know, the people who who could have been prosecuted are all dead. So other people are speaking are talking. And, you know, there's just I don't it it's it makes more sense to me than the helter skelter theory. And it's an incredible book. I highly recommend it. Joe Rogan just had the author, Tom O'Neill, on his podcast. And it's just a fascinating person. That's how, how you found out about Tom O'Neill? Because you were you're doing your usually Rogan head stuff? <laughs> yeah, you know it. No, it's weird. I posted the book one day. The next day, he was on the show. So, <laughs> so I knew it first. No, I obviously didn't. Okay. Um, and then, so then when I got an Instagram message from someone named uh, Hi From Melissa saying, you should do the Kent State Massacre, it was kind of perfect timing in the you know it goes all the way to the top you know brand so i got information there's a from a 20 that a brand now <laughs> that brand <laughs> yeah um i'm a yeah i'm a influencer and all the way to the top influencer sure so this uh there's a documentary from pbs called the day the 60s dies that's really great there's an article from the kent state university paper by jerry lewis and thomas hensley a britannica article a bunch of history.com articles and then um james renner who's a friend of the podcast and is a really great true crime author he has some cool information about it as well and then um also some interviews from historian howard means so In 1968, Nixon's elected to the presidency, partially on the promise of ending the increasingly unpopular Vietnam War. By the end of the 60s, there's this illusion that the baby boomer generation, they were raised to believe stuff like the United States was just like, you know, uh, do your part and to be proud of the USA. But that kind of had fallen away um, in the there was like a cultural revolution of the student anti-war movement. And this is I mean... You think about it now and it's it seems kind of normal, but that that was the first generation who kind of went against what their parents wanted for them, were forcing them to do and kind of were thinking for themselves for the very first time. And it was revolutionary. And it also incensed a large amount, a large. um, It also incensed a large part of the population as well. Yeah, because you think about it and most of people that lived in America were immigrants who had to come and like and fend for themselves. And like if they survived to have second and third generations of their family, it's because they sacrificed all that stuff 
storyline. And then all of a sudden, these kids were one or two generations away from that kind of suffering. And they were like, yeah, we don't have to do that. We don't have to. Yeah. We don't have to participate in this same thing that, right. that we you don't guys have to did. We don't have to stand for the status quo. We don't have to be treated this way. We can have a voice. And I think from the, their parents' generation, which went through World War II and their, you know, grandparents through World War I, which is that you have to be so patriotic and being anything other is you being a fucking communist. You know, it was like unheard of. Yeah, because so, World War One and World War Two, literally you would die if you didn't like get join the war effort, if you didn't sacrifice, if you didn't do all those things. Right. It really was you know, it it was real. Yeah, definitely. So by 1970, the Vietnam War split the country into two factions, those that opposed the war, those that supported it. But even a large portion of those that opposed it are really critical of the student anti-war movement. And so in November 1969, the American public finds out all these things like about the uh, May Lai Massacre, which is the mass murder of over 400 unarmed South Vietnamese civilians by U.S. troops. And it leads to increased opposition about the war. And then there, uh, a, a month later, there's a first draft lottery since World War II, which fucking makes people lose their minds. Mm -hmm. I mean, fairly. That means people who were previously able to defer enrollment because of education are no longer exempt. So that stirs the student anti-war movement as well. You know, it's mostly blue collar middle class students who are having to go fight in Vietnam. If you're rich, you're kind of exempt from it in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And so these people are sick of seeing their childhood friends, their fellow students, their, you know, brothers being killed in a war that the majority of Americans believe getting involved in was a mistake. So they're fucking pissed and they're fighting it, it for their lives. It feels like it's really a passionate uh, movement. So in his first year of his presidency, it does seem that the American involvement in Vietnam is, is starting to wind down and that, all changes on April 30th, 1970. Oh, by the way, May 4th is the 50 year anniversary of the Kent State Massacre. So on April 30th, 1970, Nixon goes on TV and announces the U.S. is invading Cambodia. And in fact, the uh, the Secretary of Defense didn't even know this was happening until he went on TV oh, and God. announced it, which just says so much about him. Um, and so Cambodia had been neutral up until this point. And uh, so invading this you know, neutral territory is obviously an escalation of the war. It enrages the anti-war movement and college campuses around the country erupt in protests. And that sets the stage for the events that unfold at Kent State. So that's the history. And then Kent State University is around 30 miles southeast of Cleveland, 15 miles from Akron. It's uh, a small town in Ohio. In 1970, it has about 20,000 students, and many are first-generation college students from working-class families. It's considered a somewhat conservative university as far as politics are concerned, but it does have a history of student protests and radicalization. So on Friday, May 1st, the day after Nixon's announcement, there's this widespread anger about invading Cambodia, and Kent State holds some smaller protests and rallies. Um, that are peaceful, but that night it's almost everyone goes to like the main drag in Kent, which is tiny, and goes to the bar. They start fucking drinking, and anarchy breaks out. And the protesters start, you know, lighting fucking garbage cans on fire. They're in the middle of the street. They, uh, the police respond, and protesters throw rocks at them and bottles. And eventually, students and you know who the fuck knows it could be people inciting violence for a reason. Mm -hmm. 
they begin to break windows and loot stores. And eventually there, uh, more than a dozen people are arrested. The crowd's broken up with tear gas and the students go back to campus. You know, that's what happened in Ferguson. They were they would talk about that those Ferguson protests, they were trying to be peaceful. And all of a sudden there'd be like somebody would show up and they would throw something. And it was like some white guy that no one knew, no one right. ever seen before. Like that's well, a, a lot that's of people. Real. A lot, uh, the, Kent State and Ferguson have a lot of similarities, and that's one of them. And, and the fact that, you know, um, National Guardsmen with who are armed to the teeth for war are sent into civilian locations. Yeah. You know, it's it's horrific, which is now uh, standard fare. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the next night, Saturday, May 2nd, another protest march happens on the campus. Thousands of students jo- join in and some people are um, protesting Cambodia and the Vietnam War and some people are just students watching what's going on. So it's just like a big gathering. Um, when the students pass the campus ROTC building, ROTC is the Reserve Officers Training Corps. So when they pass that building, it's that building is normally guarded by police because obviously for people uh, protesting the Vietnam War, that's going to be a, a big hotbed. But when they get there, there's no there's no guards there. And eventually it's set on fire. But over a thousand protesters are celebrating the building's destruction. Firefighters arrive as the firefighters try to contain the blaze. Protesters um, are throwing rocks at them. They slash the hoses so they can't, uh, you know, fight the fire. It burns to the ground. Kent Mayor Leroy Satram declares a state of emergency and requests assistance from Ohio's governor. So James A. Rhodes is this fucking conservative, staunch dude. He's campaigning for the Republican nomination to run for the U.S. Senate. So he can't look soft on this. You know, he has to really, you know, come with force. He ends up dispatching the Ohio National Guard to the campus and surrounding town. He proclaimed that the protesters are the worst type of people in America and says, I think we're up against the strongest, well-trained, militant revolutionary group that has ever assembled in America. So he just needs to seem strong on, you know, protesters who are students who are who are throwing rocks. Yeah. Who are 19 and 20 year old students terrified of going to Vietnam. Yeah. What he should have said is you can't tell the boys from the girls. And I don't like it. That's what dirty old hippies. It was a cultural revolution where people were like, I'm going to see what I want to be in in every way that that could sentence could mean something. And the establishment was just like, holy shit, what the fuck is going on? So the National Guard members arrive and they disperse the crowd with tear gas. That's on Saturday. Um, And the next day, by Sunday, May 3rd, nearly 1,200 National Guardsmen occupy the Kent State campus. And what really should have happened was that the president of Kent State University or, you know, this conservative governor should have shut the school down at that point and, and you know, canceled classes for the week or whatever until order was, uh, you know, ordered. Resumed. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> but they didn't they didn't do that. And so on Monday, May 4th, you know, because of a lot of students were just like normal middle class kids, they'd go home for the weekend. They weren't in town. So there wasn't a lot of the people who had, you know, done these uh, demonstration. So they didn't even know what was going on. Mm-hmm. They get to school. They're going to classes. It's normal. So Monday morning, more rallies are scheduled. A crowd begins to gather, you know, and by noon, the entire commons area contains almost 3000 people. But it's estimated that only a fraction of them are actually like the core hardcore demonstrators. And they're protesting at this point, the presence of the guard on campus. It's not even about Cambodia as much anymore. But there's a um, 
there's a strong anti-war sentiment, of course, and another larger group of students are there cheering in support of those demonstrators. They're not even, you know, part of the pack, but they're supporting them. And then an additional 1,500 people are students just standing around the perimeter of the commons because class was still in session that day, uh, just watching. So across the commons at the burned out ROTC building, there's about 100 Ohio National Guardsmen carrying lethal M1 military rifles. Mm. Initially, the rally's pretty peaceful, but um, before noon, Ohio National Guard General Robert Canterbury orders the demonstrators to disperse. Essentially, you know, Kent State police officers are there. They're trying to get them to disperse. It doesn't work. Protesters start throwing um, rocks and yelling insults. And because uh, it's a super windy day, oh, that's another thing. It was like a gorgeous day, one of the first ones of spring in this city. So it's just really eerie to have this going on then. But so because there was some wind, the tear gas canisters they were lobbing weren't working. So it couldn't disperse the crowd. The protesters, essentially the protesters go up the steep hill and you can see all these incredible photos from the day. They um, go down this hill and the guardsmen follow and essentially get kind of blocked in by this gate that's surrounding a practice football field. So they retreat back up the hill. And as they arrive at the top of the hill and it's from it just seems out of fucking nowhere. Twenty eight of the guardsmen turn around back to the crowd. They're retreating. They turn around back to the crowd and begin to fire their rifles and pistols. And there's photos of it. It's it's fucking eerie. Many guardsmen fire into the air or the ground, but a small portion fire directly into the crowd. And the shooting lasts for 13 seconds, which seems quick, but Mm-mm. that's a long fucking time. Mm-mm. Right. It's yeah. No, that's a long time. That's a long time. Because one shot's a second. Like it's like not even not even a second. Right. So and they're able to fire off 67 rounds in those 13 seconds because they have military. What's it called? Because they have military grade weapons. Eyewitness accounts from the students and faculty show that people thought that they were firecrackers, that they were shooting blanks, but instead four students are killed and nine others are wounded. Uh, one of them's paralyzed from the waist down. So 20-year-old Jeff Miller, who had transferred to Kent State four months earlier, he shot directly into his mouth from he's 265 feet away. So that's not a threat to anyone. Uh, the bullet exits the back of his skull and he's killed instantly. And he's the one in that like heart wrenching photo uh, of the yeah. girl bending down. Yep. And that's him. And she's screaming, uh, right? That's right. Yeah. I'll talk about her in a minute. Um, nearby, his friend and fellow activist, 19 year old honor student, Allison Krauss, she's shot three times in the back Ugh. as they're trying to run away. The fatal shot enters through her left arm and travels to her chest, killing her. Both those two students um, had been actively involved in the demonstration, uh, but the other two fatalities, both shot at a distance of about 390 feet away, were bystanders on their way to class. Mm. 20-year-old Sandy Shure, who was walking with one of her speech and hearing therapy students across the green, is shot through the neck and dies of blood loss. And William Schroeder, who's 19 and attending Kent State on an ROTC scholarship, he's walking between classes when he's hit in the chest. The bullet enters his back and shatters a rib and he dies almost an hour later at a local hospital. (sighs) And so one, one of the National Guard, only one of them admits to actually aiming at a specific person. And that person's 18 year old demonstrator named Joseph Lewis 
because as they pointed their guns at them, he flipped them off, not knowing, obviously, that there were actual bullets in the guns. He was the closest victim of the shooting. He was a full 60 feet away. So that was the closest person, which obviously is not a threat, right? So that the the argument that the National Guard was threatened, they were at least 60 feet to 300 and fucking 90 feet away. That's not a threat. And also none of those people had weapons. So as much as you can talk about vibes or, you know, like a group of people or whatever, I just like that doesn't really hold up to people who are standing there with machine guns or whatever these whatever guns they had. Right. And it's I mean, the more reading I did, the less I wanted. I can't you can't blame the National Guard completely either. They were put in this impossible situation that people who are higher up than them should have handled. They shouldn't have even put in that situation. Right. You know, and they are also 19, 20 year old kids who don't have experience. So, you know, and they're they do feel threatened because they don't have the proper training to know what to do in a situation like that. Yeah. And they're they're feeling it's like. It only takes one when there's one side with a bunch of guns and one without like you see you see it in action movies all the time or whatever, where it's like hold that hold your fire moment where it right. takes one person to fire and then other people start because they exactly. think that's what you're doing. It's one f- fearful person who shoots the first or fucking maybe there's one guy in there is absolutely a piece of shit and starts firing and the rest of them shoot as well. Yeah. You know, um, and so but, uh, sorry, ex- just as a completely uneducated outsider who's read no books and uh, and only knows about this from watching, you know, USA in the 60s types of documentaries. Yeah. As much as the National Guard can say, and that's obviously what official statements usually sound like, that they feel yeah. threatened. They feel threatened that someone 60 feet away might run toward them, like eat no matter what. Those right. students were unarmed. Like there's no, just there, there's no, no excuse. That's not it just doesn't hold water anyway. It doesn't. No, you're absolutely right. It it doesn't. That's not an excuse. Because as threatened as you feel, that's why you have the gun in your hand. So right. you actually can't feel too threatened for someone who doesn't also have a gun because they can't kill you and you can yeah. kill them. Right. They're not gonna overpower you and take your gun. Yeah. It's just yeah. But this guy, Joseph Lewis, later says that he had been a relatively passive participant up until this point. But he sees the military threat violence against the students. It pisses him off so much, the audacity. Um, he personally had worked through high school to save enough money for one year of college. And now th- these men are taking over his campus. And he's so pissed off that he flips them off. Mm-hmm. And this guardsman, Larry Schaefer, raises his M1 and shoots uh, Joseph Lewis in the stomach. And after he falls, another guardsman shoots him in the leg <gasps> while he's on the ground. But he survives. But it's just it's, you know, people were shot it's, in the back. People yes. who were people. It seems like people were targeted. The people who were actually actively uh, protesting yeah. somehow got shot from 300 feet away. Clearly. Clearly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because the so, second that sh- the second shot, the guy flipping people off, you could yeah. maybe write off the first shot. Right. The second shot, what's the value of that? Like you you yeah. shot someone in the stomach. It's a body right. hit. Like totally. Yeah. That and that's shoot to kill, too. If you shoot someone in the stomach. So in the chaos that follows the shooting, the guard returns to the commons and their a, a full riot is threatening to break out. This hasn't fucking de-escalated yet, but. 
thank God the faculty marshals led by Glenn Frank, a geology professor, truly, I mean, they are the heroes of that day. They successfully persuade students not to endanger their lives by taking on the guard because now these students are fucking pissed and worked up. You know, they see their fellow students bleeding from the head. So um, I looked at our my favorite murder email and Laura R. Her mom was there that day and she wrote to Laura wrote to us and said that her mom said, thank God for the professors who stepped in. Um, She says putting themselves in danger and to try to de-escalate the situation. The guard was saying they would shoot again if everyone did not immediately get inside. So the professors were out there with bullhorns and you can hear the recordings of them yelling and they sound like they're about to fucking cry. Um, And they're just shoving students into whatever building they could keep them out to keep them out of harm's way, like just trying to get them to disperse. And she says, my mom was ushered into a random dorm and assigned a random room with a few other girls in order to stay in the room until further notice. And then she says, once the whole shooting scene was cleared, they told all the students they had two hours to get their shit and leave campus indefinitely. Wow. Um, And then if you weren't gone within the allotted two hours, you would officially be under martial law. So then um, you, then university president Robert White orders the university closed and it remains closed for six weeks. So photographs of the dead are distributed and all these powerful photos are distributed in newspapers all over the world. Um, Newsweek reports that a story, uh, an article headlined, my God, they're killing us. Um, and the cover features a photo of 14-year-old runaway Mary Ann Vacheco. She's the one who's screaming in anguish, kneeling over Jeff Miller's dead body. The photograph was taken by Kent State photo photojournalism student John Philo. He wins a fucking Pulitzer Prize, and that for that photo, and it becomes the most like enduring image of the of Kent State and also of the Vietnam War, like one of the most lasting images mm. of. Of the protests. In the following weeks, over 400 colleges and high schools and 4 million students across the country lead strikes and demonstrations against the shooting and the Cambodia invasion. At the University of Wisconsin-Madison, a campus known for radicalism, there's 20 fire bombings. There's militant activism. I mean, people are just fucking losing their shit. People who weren't involved before, you know, students are now just protesting this. And, you know, a lot of the colleges are canceled for the rest of the year. Etc. So Nixon and his administration's public reaction to the shootings are perceived as callous. Nixon says, quote, when dissent turns to violence, it invites tragedy. Essentially, don't dissent and there won't be fucking violence yeah. is what he's saying. Right. No matter and, what's happening in your country, don't right. dissent or exactly. we get to kill you. All right. And then there's tragedy. So great job dissent, you know. Just a- five days after the shooting, 100,000 people demonstrate in Washington, D.C. It's um, the size of the strike, which is pretty peaceful, it stirs Nixon. So Nixon, I mean, God, watch this documentary, but he goes out to the Lincoln Memorial to, and meets with student protesters and acknowledges them as citizens and not bums, which he had called them before the shooting. Mm-hmm. And he kind of is like, I understand your um, concerns and kind of validates them, which is shocking. And on May 14th, in a much less publicized event, another on-campus shooting results in the deaths of two students and the wounding of 12 others. It's at Jackson State University in Mississippi. This time, law enforcement officers fire more than 150 rounds in 30 seconds into a woman's dormitory while the students because the students were protesting they went in there they shot 150 rounds in 30 seconds holy shit why haven't you heard about it 
It was a black university. That's right. Is that right? Yep. And the students who were killed were black. (sighs) So, of course, the event is largely ignored by the media. But it's also important to note that the surge in anti-war sentiment leads to a rise of pro-war supporters known as the silent majority. These people who were the silent majority who were just kind of, you know, not super political, living their lives. Now they want to show support of the U.S. and they end up handing Nixon a landslide victory in the 1972 presidential election. Essentially, it caused all these people who were somewhat conservative, but not totally. A lot of them were Democrats who weren't really interested in politics to rally to show their distinction. They were almost voting for Nixon to show their disdain for the anti-war movement, Mm -hmm. you know, people who might not have even voted. So, of course, there's all these investigatory commissions and court trials that follow that I won't get into. Um, But they're trying to answer whether the National Guard was under sufficient threat to use force. Um, And they they testify that they felt the need to discharge their weapons because they feared for their life. Um, and But there is a s- civil suit by the injured Kent State students and their families, and a settlement was reached in 1979, and uh, the National Guard of Ohio agreed to pay those injured in the events uh, $675,000, which is like, I think, $5 million or something in today's money. Oh, wow. So no- November 1974, eight former guardsmen are acquitted of violating the civil rights of the students uh, by a U.S. district court. So they're acquitted. Um, Sounds like the silent majority was was on that court. <laughs> it does, <laughs> doesn't court, it? Yeah. Uh, the anti-war protests draw to an end when Nixon begins to withdraw the U.S. soldiers from Vietnam in 1973, basically ends the U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War. But the Kent State shootings continue to reverberate through society. Uh and our culture, because two people who were at Kent State that day, two art students, Mark Mothersbaugh and, and Jerry Casale, they react to their friend, like they were friends with some of the people who were killed, and they form their band, Devo. 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 The band's philosophy is that mankind has hit a wall in evolution and is now evolving in reverse, <laughs> i.e. de-evolution. Devo. Oh, is that really what that means? De-evolution. <laughs> they couldn't have been more right. I mean, it's still crappening. Derry Casale of Devo has been quoted as saying, all I can tell you is that it completely and utterly changed my life. I was a white hippie boy, and then I saw exit wounds from M1 rifles out of the backs of two people I knew. I would not have started the idea of Devo unless this happened. And Chrissy Hind was also there of The Pretenders. Are you serious? She went to school. Yeah, she was there that day as well. She went to school at Kent State. Whoa. And was friends with some of the murdered students. I know. So every year since 1971, um, on the anniversary of the shooting, it's been commemorated with a candlelight procession around the campus and an all-night vigil at the sites where the students fell. Uh, And in January of 2017, the site of the shooting on Kent State campus is declared a National Historic Landmark. So this year on May 4th, it would have been the 50th anniversary of the shootings. They would have they were going to have this whole speech and ceremonies and all this shit. And then COVID-19 came around. So it's not going to happen. And some of the survivors were going to speak. Historian John Fitzgerald O'Hara says that the Kent State massacre became a source of public trauma and it came to symbolize the fracturing of the social body and the breakdown of democracy. And that is the murder of Jeffrey Miller, Alison Krauss, William Schroeder and Sandra Shore, a.k.a. the Kent State Massacre. Wow. How fucked up is that? How do we not know more about this? You know, it's like a paragraph in our history books in high school, and that's it. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, I... 
it, it is also the kind of thing where it's, it's the sixties were such a bizarre time that like when like I think young people these days it's just like we're so far away from it that it's it's all been boiled down to like peace, love and like you know, mm-hmm. bell bottom jeans or whatever. When actually yeah. it was all, you know, those were young people that were like, Yeah, it shouldn't be like this. And you can't just ship us off. You can't right. just ship us off when like half the people you're shipping off don't have voting rights. Or you know what yeah. I mean? Like that kind of shit, like this stuff Mo- Muhammad Ali stood up for. I mean, it, it's just like People finally got to start saying, yeah, you don't just get to sacrifice me. Right. I got to have a say in my life, in my country's life, in, you know, in the decisions that are being made that affect us specifically, not, you know, these people in the White House or their sons. It's fucking us that are going to war for this. None of us, you know, doesn't affect their sons. No, exactly. I highly recommend reading this book, Chaos, if you want to know more about I, I guess that's why I've had like a hard time this past <laughs> couple weeks is that, I mean, everything is fucked and nothing is real. And we've been lied to for fucking decades. And it's really shitty. Yeah. OK, this, we're going to switch book- you over to some Jackie <laughs> Collins after this, where you can just how about a little Her- Harold Robbins. I, some I dirty need to books. start listening to bananas <laughs> before bed. No, I mean, like this isn't helping me. It's. It's funny because you're right. It's like this is the time where, oh, I have all this time. I can finally read these books. I should read this. Like, right. I have the same feeling you do is I should know this and I should get into this. Yeah. And we should maybe in the fall. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> We're in a bit of a hot spot time right now where it's like, right. I don't know of a chaos. It's like I started watching The Leftovers right, oh. right as like they were talking about, you know, this this <laughs> great show this, this whole thing starting and i was like i don't think this is a good idea for me no terrible idea you know what i've been falling show. you know what i've been falling asleep to at night station 11 you know that fucking post-apocalyptic story where there's a big flu called the georgia flu that hits the and just fucking decimates the world and now people live off the grid and no it's, i haven't it's heard a, of this at all oh what channel it's one of it's the it's a book called station 11 by by a female writer yeah. Yes. Sorry. You've read it. I think you and I've talked about it. I haven't read it. Someone recommended it to me because they said it's like the is like she predicted it happening in the she book. She did. It, it came out years ago in, in 2015. It was it's a gore or no, it came out in 2014. It's a gorgeous book. Station 11 by Emily St. John Mandel. I love it. It's not it's not for the faint of heart right now, but buy it and put it on your bookshelf. This look, it's a Chris, a fun Christmas book. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. For, yeah. Just time. It's your one shit of my out. favorite books. Right. It, it's yeah. Not I hear it. Listen. I hear it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's, Honestly, it's incredible. Yeah. Read it. Wow. That was great. And Thank I'm you. I'm glad to know those details of I did not know they actually burned down the ROTC building. I, I hadn't. That wasn't anything that i knew i mean i yeah, don't i all i, I knew is the very basics of yeah. the amount of people that killed the fact that that the national guard just turned and started shooting at at unarmed students i mean it's just it's like, like the turned part really got to me too because you could have just kept walking you were not being um you were not being what's the word pursued people, uh you were being well threatened they were uh what's it called when you get into a corner they weren't cornered being, 
Sorry. They weren't. No, it's good. Leave it. it. They weren't being cornered. They could have kept walking. They were about to go over a hill. So, the you know, the canisters of tear gas that the protesters were throwing back at them wouldn't have hit. Like, And they turned and started shooting. Because that it's, comes in. That's like ego and pride. It's like. I'm sorry if I become a full on nutso Buddhist, but like it's all we have to solve the problems in ourselves so that we can solve the problems in the world, because that's how those things start is is people with power, whether that means you have the gun or you're the you know, you're the person that has the most money or you're the person with the voice when those people can't relate anymore or don't want to relate as human beings to the people that they are that are under them that's yeah. when shit goes nuts and it's like the idea that somebody uh on in a campus an open campus with tons of people it's like whoever you were mad at you knew for a fact if you were trained with guns you knew for a fact that shooting toward the person you were mad at meant you were also shooting toward 20 people who were totally innocent and not involved right. and you knew that as a fact and you did it anyway because you were pissed because these people were were insulting you and your lifestyle and what you've decided was important like it's all personal shit it's per, it's mishandled personal shit god i love when you drink coffee <laughs> <laughs> that you was suddenly great. start to make sense that was so good i don't know i i don't that's all i can because I, I don't obviously i'm not I don't know anything historical. I don't know how most things work but but we <laughs> should it's like but i do understand human behavior human failure because we've all Ooh. done it we've yeah. all done a thing where we take a thing personally that actually has nothing to do with us and we inter we interject ourselves incorrectly and then we fuck it up we become the wrench we react in the fucking wheel yes yeah and then we make it a thing that it doesn't need to be because we want that like we want righteous it's righteous indignation or it's superiority yeah. it's that kind of stuff that's deadly it's deadly to us it's deadly yeah. to other people sorry Abs absolute power yeah Corrupts Corrupts absolutely. absolutely motherfucker oh Steven, get it uh, buy you're a fired also buy a devo <laughs> album everyone they're fucking incredible uh, my friend did you just fire Steven? i fired steven on the show <laughs> On the show, oh, and you didn't no. even care. You didn't even hear it. <laughs> I don't give a shit. No, <laughs> no Stephen. The, the best part about this is on this yeah. Zoom meeting, you guys. Stephen's <laughs> background is that uh, that um, cartoon panel with the dog sitting at the table with the room on fire, saying it's fine. This so is Stephen fine. is sitting in an, a cartoon burning room, yeah. and he just when I said he was fired, he just dropped his hands, his face into his hands, like, oh no. Uh. Oh. Not again. <laughs> Don't take it, Stephen. Fight the power. Yeah, really. Fight, fight the power. We're the power. Stephen's like, fight this us. is the 11th time you fired me on air. <laughs> Please stop it. Oh, oh. hi, Elvin. All right. Uh, so let's, should we do? Yeah, let's fucking, fucking hooray, hooray the fuck out of this thing. Oh, we need it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. We're going to read you your fucking hoorays. If you want to contribute, I get them off of Instagram when people respond to the our, like this week's episodes post you get them off twitter we get them off twitter instagram and then of course in the fan cult if you post them uh jay pulls them down off of that too so any way right. you feel like doing it we we will find them okay my hashtag fucking hooray is that me and my boyfriend had our six month anniversary yesterday over facetime oh this is from kels c 95 
And we each got drunk and chilled out for two and a half hours. For me, it's a big thing because he's only my second ever relationship. I'm 24 years old and my first relationship was incredibly emotionally manipulative and abusive and left me with so much baggage that I've spent the last four years working through. But I feel like I'm finally learning to trust again. Uh, And I'm so happy with my boyfriend now. Fucking hooray for a healing and healthy relationship with a person who genuinely loves me, messiness and all. Oh. Amen. That's awesome. Congratulations. Love that. That's the dream right there. Who likes this mess? Shout out to Vince. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Shout out to Vince for me, too. (laughs) He loves me in his own way. Um, <laughs> that's lovely. Yeah. Uh, let's see. This one's from Amanda. <laughs> her her handle is abnormal Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. I just saw that. Welcome, Amanda. Uh, this says a wonderful fucking hooray is my friend Simone, who accidentally started a nonprofit during this pandemic. It's called Invisible Hands, and it's a volunteer grocery delivery service for elderly and in immunocompromised people who can't leave their homes in New York and New Jersey. She started it with a few friends just to help out and she now has all caps thousands of volunteers servicing New York and New Jersey. She's been doing it 24 hours a day every day for the past month and the need her organization is filling in this area is truly incredible. Thanks for listening. SSDGM. Holy shit, oh Simone. My God. You are a badass. Chills and tears I mean, floating in my eyes. What a What's beautiful the helping hands. It's uh, invisible hands. It's a okay. nonprofit and it clearly takes volunteers and it has thousands. I mean, that's, that's the beautiful incredible. part. People want to help each other. People love each other. Do not buy into everything that gets shown on the news of people hating each other and screaming at each other and fighting things. The majority of this country has coalesced in the most magnificent way. And that doesn't get on the news because people aren't that doesn't scare anybody. And Uh -uh. it doesn't it doesn't tick up ratings when you show a bunch of people going, yeah, thousands of people are volunteering for invisible hands. Man, it's so fucking true. It's so fucking true. It's so true. So congratulations. That's That's so kick ass. You guys are awesome. Invisible hands, Simone. This is from Jordan Thai, T H I. Oh, uh, I thought it was T H I G H. Hey. <laughs> My fucking array, <laughs> hey girl. My fucking array is that after a couple years of infertility struggles, I gave birth to our first baby. <gasps> I was worried to have a baby during this weird time for many reasons. I that's the first thing I thought of is people who are pregnant right now. That's got to be rough. So scary. But need to shout out the maternity nurses at Altman Hospital in Canton, Ohio. Hey, I know that, hey girls, girls, you're doing it big time. Ooh. I know that this is an incredibly hard time to be in the healthcare industry, but they all made me and my husband feel so welcome and so well taken care of during a scary time of not only birth, but during a pandemic such as this. Mm-hmm. We will forever be grateful for their support, knowledge, courage and encouragement to bring our little girl into the world and help us feel confident to take care of her. Uh, say say the name of the hospital again. It's Altman A U L T Altman Hospital in Canton, Ohio. A U L T M A N. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Altman. Yeah, amazing job, everybody at Altman Hospital, uh, maternity ward, NICU, yeah. whatever, wherever you were. Thank you so much for showing up at work every day and putting your life yeah. on the line for everybody else. We appreciate it. 
We really do. And how about those fucking rad ass nurses that have started showing up at those protests to counter protests and they just show up with their arms crossed in scrubs and stand in the middle of it's one of no. the yeah a- again it's the kind of thing that they've like you see little pictures of it here and there uh, on the on the internet but like they're not covered they should be covering that of just like yeah. the healthcare workers that are going down to say oh that actually they did today a bunch of healthcare workers stood um in the Capitol, I can't remember if it was in front of the White House or where, and just read off names of healthcare workers who died because <sighs> of coronavirus on the job, just reading them out loud. Because it's like, you think this is fake? You're trying to tell people yeah. this is fake? Here's all the people who have died. Nobody's having a fucking blast during this time. And so you, we just, there's like rules and regulations, and we need to just fucking sit back and let the people who are good at their jobs and who know what they're doing handle it and stop being little brats about, you know, their hair. Like there was something about, I forget, take that out. <laughs> the lady with the roots? <laughs> yeah. And the then the Tim Robinson, Tim Robinson uh, saying, this is when I start buying my Halloween decorations. What about, are you telling me I'm not supposed to buy my Halloween decorations? I must have watched that fucking, I love him he so, so much. Funny. What's his show called? We've been Detroiters. watching it lately. No, no, the other one he has one like a sketch. Oh, show. I think you should leave. <laughs> That's what it's called. He's so Detroiters He's, is my favorite thing. Yeah, both. Okay, all okay. Tim Robinson. So let's just shout out to Tim Robinson as well. <laughs> shout out we'll Tim lump Robinson. him into the healthcare workers. That's not rude or disrespectful at all. <laughs> Hold, please. Okay. Oh yeah, go check this shit out. <laughs> this is from Cat and Karen. With an eye. 900 days ago, I was dope sick for the last time. 900 days ago, I could only focus on getting through the next second and then the next. But those seconds turned into minutes, turned into hours, turned into days, turned into months, turned into years. My life didn't become perfect the moment I became sober. I've always been prone to depression and melancholy, and I still am. But no matter what happens today, I know I won't steal, cheat, or lie in order to get high. And at the end of each day, no matter how shitty, that is always a fucking hooray. 900 days sober. Holy shit. Congratulations. Every one of these are giving me chills. That is incredible. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it's a whole new life. Congratulations, Kat oh, and Karen. Um, amazing. Good job. I'm just, I'm just amazed. Yeah. Um, it's really impressive. This is my last one. This was called, this is from ramblerose.co. Uh, I'm a watercolor artist. And since being in quarantine, I have been painting greeting cards, writing uplifting notes, and sending them to nursing homes to be distributed amongst, amongst the elderly <sighs> who are possibly the most lonely ones out there right now, often with no family or friends and definitely no one allowed to visit them. It might only be a small act, but it's bringing me joy to hopefully send a little joy to those older people people who are so lonely and it's a win-win because painting is therapeutic for me bringing me a sense of accomplishment and joy to craft these cards and know that they are being put to use we have to remember during this time that although being quote productive is wonderful we also have to be kind to ourselves and do all we can to handle our own emotions with care whether that's laying on the couch for 10 hours or becoming the next einstein (laughs) it's whatever makes you happy calm centered and of course sexy Genius! That's incredible. <laughs> that's isn't it? that's very lovely and beautiful. I love, I love having a craft and like use it. Wait, oh, I forgot we're recording a podcast. <laughs> I'm like, I wish I had a craft that I could send out to the world and make people happy. 
<laughs> Maybe if this involved a little more wool, you would see it as your craft. This is literally your craft. Oh, shit. Just fucking running my stupid mouth, my stupid sailor mouth. Yeah, too bad. You get to. Too bad. Can't be that stupid. Here's mine. And this is nuts because... Avalon Monroe sent it to us. And I just need to preface this one by saying my friend and friend of the podcast, Guy Branham, hey. <laughs> uh, months ago, recommended, told, texted me and was like, you have to watch the Bon Appetit cooking videos. It's the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen YouTube channel. And, okay. and Steven seems to like it. Steven, I've literally been binging this for the last month. I was watching it before we recorded today. I'm obsessed. Oh, my God. I have to watch I'm it. Completely Completely obsessed now here's so but 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 I do want to preface this because the reason I picked this is because this just happened basically guy asked me to start watching this six months ago I can't ever do anything anyone tells me and we all know <laughs> so like three days ago I was like it was like I had gotten up at 5 a.m. wandering in my house like a weird ghost I was like oh wait a second I know it'll make me feel better I click onto this video I just go on randomly and i'm like that guy's cute and i start watching brad leone i assume you pronounce his name that way explain how to make bruschetta which is a, a food i'm oh, obsessed with sure he is my full-on boyfriend he is <laughs> he also made this amazing dish so quickly and easily and he's one of the most compelling people i've ever seen on tv on youtube um it was I was immediately hooked. I immediately text Guy and I'm like, I finally did it. I'm in. Guy then sends me an email, basically a syllabus saying, watch these videos in this order and then get back to me. Like a send it full, to me. A full thing. I will for sure. And then he actually today tweeted about it saying I sent Karen this email and then I sent it to this other Karen what other Karens need to know about the Bon Appetit <laughs> test kitchen and then I, as I'm scrolling through the fucking arrays here's this one okay. from Avalon Monroe hello all I've been struggling with insomnia even before this whole pandemic BS started and now it's even worse considering I'm moving less and my sleep schedule is pretty much in, in the drain I've been listening to a lot of MFM and I'm running out of episodes to binge and also watch videos from the Bon Appetit test kitchen. Mm. I love, love, love all the videos and the series they make. It's super calming and relaxing and generally sends me right to sleep when I'm not glued to the screen as they temper chocolate, make stock or do general kitchen things. I feel like I'm living vicariously through them as they work up wonders of food and all of the chef's calm, happy demeanors help me feel a little bit better about the current situation. Thanks for being you and continue to commit to the work you do. I appreciate you supporting everyone in the community and local businesses. You guys really are helping a lot of us through this difficult time. With much love, SSDGM, Avalon Monroe, in parentheses, from Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not the Avalon Monroe from <laughs> Boston or yeah, Austin. Isn't that crazy? I have to I have to watch it. It's you can go on to the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen YouTube channel, click on any video you start to get to know. There's about six chefs that are in there telling you, here's our recipe, here's how we make it, here's it's we make it easy, this, that, the other. It's and they're the most every person that comes on screen, 
you want to be friends with them. You mm. love hearing them talk. They're so uh, cooking is such a mystery to me. And oh, watching so Brad make this bruschetta, I was like, I'm gonna make bruschetta. I literally yeah. was like, I'm making that tomorrow. I love it. I have so That's many amazing. Roma tomatoes in my kitchen right now. Hopefully they don't go bad. Hopefully I do it. But <laughs> it's just like it feels like it's for a reason. Like it's too. It's gonna help something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm actually yeah. learning. But then you just adore the people. They're so. I learned how to cook. I learned how to cook from watching people cook on tv yeah Shout right out rachel ray yeah yeah you know sure. all about that that food channel that's stuff fucking, that's right i have to tell you i had a job um <laughs> speaking Until of canada you your craft that's right <laughs> that i didn't know i i had Speaking of Canada, we want to give a uh, warm shout out to the Murderinos and everyone in Nova Scotia there for the tragedy that they're currently going through. Yeah, there's a terrible shooting there. So we just we what we've heard about it from um, a bunch of you guys, you listeners that are that are up there in Canada and particularly in Nova Scotia. So the Halifax Murderino group, we just want to let you guys know we're thinking about you and, you know, you're not alone. That's right. Thanks for listening, everyone. This has been a real long episode. Has it? Oh my god! Again, <laughs> again, we've Keep done it doing again. That. I mean, look, look, we're not busy, and Listen. we know you aren't either. So shut That's up and right. take your two-hour episode. Yeah. Um. Thank you. We we are so hashtag blessed. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah, it's really nice to actually have something to mark time and look forward to doing, and uh, you know. And to be doing this with you. Um, thanks yeah. for thanks for doing it with us, Stephen. Thank you for everything. Oh, and happy birthday, Stephen. Oh, thank That's you. Right. Thank you. Last week. We was it was birthday. last week. We didn't say it on the show last week because we're self-involved. And we apologize. <laughs> Like I took a day off and I watched Waterworld and took a nap, so it was very. Oh, nice. that's right, you were Amazing. gone. Yeah, yeah, I took. I'm going to blame it on you. Off. You were gone, so you don't get to have birthday uh, wishes. Dang it! Happy birthday, Stevie. Uh, Steven. Stevie. Stevie. Tell everyone happy birthday, Stevie, please. Um, yeah. If you didn't already, and other than that, stay sexy and don't get murdered. Go- Goodbye. Hold on, he's right here, Ooh. Elvis. Nice. I just dropped the oh. zoom. <laughs> Elvis, you want a cookie? There we go. That worked. Good that was boy. perfect. Good boy. Okay, great. Uh, was I recording? Uh, I was. Cool. Great.